Well, let me say good morning to each and every one of you. I want to say thank you for coming together today. And we're going to complete the series called Meeting Jesus on the Mountainside. Today we're going to talk about Jesus. Before we uh, do that, uh, let me uh, say welcome to each and every one of you and to um, those that uh, are, if you're able at any time, you're more than welcome to uh, worship with us at Camelback Church of Christ. And it's always a pleasure to be uh, with everyone that comes and to learn names and faces and just get to know and encourage people as we worship God together. Please know that you're welcome and that we'd always appreciate uh, your time if you're able to make it. Uh, my name is Ryan Biddecoffer and I preach there. I'm in charge of all the preaching and teaching as the pulpit minister and I enjoy that uh, job quite a bit. So we're going to look in our Bibles in a place called Matthew 17. This might be a familiar passage to you because it talks about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And so the scriptures are up here on the wall. The Bible says this in Matthew 17, 1 through 13. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And while he was up there, he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So Peter said, Look, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he, said, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of that cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down, and they were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up, do not be afraid. And lifting their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And he asked that his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things but I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Well, it, it, we've seen in the last couple of weeks, we saw a couple of weeks ago that Moses... Tens of thousands of people sitting, you know, right, or standing right there at the foot of the mountain. And they were listening to the Lord uh, and, and the Lord's commands from Moses. And Moses was called up to the top of that mountain. And God wrote down the Ten Commandments. We saw that uh, in, in Exodus 19 and 20. We saw later uh, this last week where Elijah travels 280 miles from Mount Carmel all the way down to Mount Horeb and we found out that 
God can do amazing, wonderful things, like in 1 Kings 18, but he also really would prefer to actually work in those small things, and like the still small voice. Well, this week I'm going to talk about Jesus when he's up on that mountain. In Matthew 17, we call that the transfiguration. That time that Peter, James, and John spent with him. And I, and I want to start off with this particular thought. This is the focus thought. If you, if you write this down and took the notes on this, for the next few minutes you would get the main lesson for the rest of the whole time. I want to focus on this thought that Jesus is Lord. And, and I believe that, that it, when Peter, James, and John are brought up to that mountain by Jesus and they're standing there watching this conversation, that I believe that is the primary focus why Jesus took them up there. He peels back a little bit of heaven for them to see his glory, to see faces they would have been familiar with, Moses and Elijah, but mainly to show them that he is Lord. That's the main focus for today. Because I believe that when we come into the presence of God, I believe that we are, when we're among his people, that we will be changed for the better. In this case, recognizing Jesus as Lord changes us for the better. When you acknowledge, right, that's the good confession right before you're baptized. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Meaning, are you acknowledging his lordship? You're acknowledging his position in the universe. Remember that we back up and we go back in the history to walk to this point by starting in Matthew 16, because in Matthew 16 you see that uh, Jesus is going to challenge. He's been challenged by the Pharisees and the Sadducees quite a bit. And what you notice in, in Peter's good confession in Matthew 16 is Jesus turns, right, after going through some, an experience of being tested and he says, all right, Peter and you apostles, who do you say that I am? And everybody else was a little bit shy, but Peter speaks up and says, well, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. Peter rightly understood that answer. He recognized this. But there is a challenge that comes with this. The Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't let up on him. Many times in Scripture you see this going back to say, like Matthew 12, where they ask for a sign, or in Matthew uh, uh, 15, where he, Jesus was so direct, the, the uh, apostles said, well, Lord, did you know you offended them? Well, Jesus' truth sometimes offends. Now, asking for a sign, as the Pharisees were challenging him in Matthew 16, it's kind of a, it's kind of a joke, because Jesus says, I've been with you, I've been teaching you, I've been performing miracles before you. Obviously, there's something about me that's different. You don't need more of a sign. In fact, the only sign you have from before this was the sign of Jonah, because Jonah was modeling my death, burial, and resurrection. And now you have the real thing. I'm right here with you. And still you don't believe? What they were really trying to do is to tear Jesus down so he would be open to manipulation, rather than obey and follow him. And it's just so amazing to me. How Jesus says, you guys can look up at the sky and tell the weather, but you can't see the Son of Man standing right here before you? It's amazing, isn't it? You should believe me. You should follow after me. Jonah was as close as you're going to get. I'm not going to have to prove myself again. 
Just as God didn't have to prove himself again to Elijah or Moses, I'm standing right before you. Don't you believe? And I think that's so interesting with all those different challenges the Pharisees and the Sadducees gave to Jesus. And every single time he meets those challenges, he doesn't shy away. When you read in Scripture about him, and, they, and I love this in Matthew 15 where, Lord, did you know you offended them? And, and, and I just think it's so interesting because Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Every word that he spoke, every place that he visited, every action, I believe, Jesus planned and thought through. And it's interesting. He got right to the point. The real question in challenging the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Jews and the leadership at the time, was not to uh, put them down, but to challenge them to ask themselves, would we listen when Christ came? Because they would have known the Scriptures, the Jews would have known the Old Testament. They would have seen and, and read about these prophecies and said, hey, isn't this the one? Isn't this Jesus the one? Because everyone could come and say they're Jesus, but only one Jesus could fulfill the actual real prophecies about himself and really be the one. So one of the reasons why I think Jesus was so amazed at their unbelief is because they would have had that data. They should have known. And yet, so, so many times they disbelieved because of their own selfishness. And so you get to the end of 16 before we get back up on that mountain. And Jesus says in Matthew 16, 28, at the end of that chapter, that there would be some standing here, these apostles and some of these disciples that were with him, that would not taste death until they saw the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now what that means is the kingdom is the church. And in Acts 2.38, you see Peter give the first gospel sermon. And what does he command the people whose hearts were pricked? He, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And you see the establishment of the church right there. Jesus established it by his blood. You see the first sermon enacting all that. So what's so amazing is it's Christ's church. He's the head of that church. He's the one that reigns. That is his area where he reigns. The Lord, the Lord adds us in Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So when you're baptized, when you submit to that in obedience to the gospel message, the Lord adds you to the universal body of Christ. You're now a part of the body of Christ. I had a wonderful experience this week on Wednesday. I had a new person. Her name was Vanessa. And she came and studied the Bible, and she knew she'd fallen away for many years, and now was ready to come back, and she had not obeyed uh, the gospel completely. She did not understand what it was, so we studied that. And at the end of that study, she was baptized. And isn't it wonderful when you see that? So kingdom is a big deal. Being a part of God's kingdom is a big deal. Well, you notice, fast forward later, so now they're standing up on the mountain, and let's think fast forwarding into the future. Peter is an old man when you read in the Bible in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. And look at how that experience of Jesus peeling back a little bit of heaven to show those three apostles his glory, to show them that there's something beyond this life, something to hope for. An actual, you know, hope is not wishful thinking. It's hoping placed somewhere where we can actually know where it is. And for us, our hope is our eternal life with, the, with Jesus and with God for eternity. And it's interesting because uh, Peter and John write about this. Peter, in his case, he says this. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we spoke the gospel to you. 
when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What else could be referring to? Verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance was made by the majestic glory. That's just another way of saying God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven where? When we were standing on the holy mountain. He's just describing that experience back in Matthew 17, walking up that mountain with Jesus, standing there and watching that conversation. It's an amazing thing to think about it. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But notice as you go over to, to verse 14, where he says, And the Word, what? Was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice, what was John talking about? I, I was up on that mountain. I remember that moment. This really is the Christ. What a beautiful thing to think about. And how is that supposed to change us? When we read about these things, we have the prophetic, we have the, the Bible, right? We have those 66 books for us to know and read about these stories, these real events that occurred. Well, it's to help us to know that Jesus really is Lord. And one of the things that it does for us is it transforms us as well. The Greek for that is amazing because the Greek for that is the same. When Jesus was transfigured, and then in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are transformed. It's the same the Greek there, metamorphe. And so we're changed. We are transformed, right? When you're baptized, you die to your old self, and you're raised to walk in newness of life. What happens when you die to your old self? You're clothed with Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, if any man is, a, is a baptized, he's a new creation, right? Colossians talks about old going away. All those many things that talk about us being transformed. We are to act. We are to be different from the world because of that. Jesus would tell us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anybody light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You set it up on a lampstand so that it gives light everywhere. And, and, and how many of you uh, know this passage? You probably have heard this. So let your light shine before men so that when they see what? Your good works, they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. So you and I carry a bit of that light in us. So Jesus is Lord. He is also light. And when he is transfigured, I wonder if we're given that little brief glimpse of heaven so that we too know what it will be like in our future time, when whenever the Lord comes back, and we don't know when that's going to happen. Scripture doesn't say. But it says it will happen. And if Jesus fulfilled all the other prophecies, we know that that promise will be fulfilled. And what's going to happen when we are transformed into that next stage, so to speak? Philippians 3.21 says this, who, Just as Jesus, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his own glory by the exertion of the power that, that he has even to subject all things to himself. In other words, when he comes back with a shout, as Revelation talks about, and says, and, and Paul in 2 Thessalonians, and the dead in Christ shall rise, then we who are alive will be called to meet him up in the air. Whenever he comes back, you're going to get a new body. Right? 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to shed this old corruptible body. We die, we become, go back to dust. 
but our soul is forever. We're going to get a new body. That new body doesn't have any more decay, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. What a beautiful thing to think about when Christ does that. And that means that we're going to be changed for the good. Brethren, I believe that up on that mountain, Peter, James, and John were brought there in the presence of Jesus and Almighty God. How could they come off that mountain except to be changed for the good? Can you imagine coming off the mountain and Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this? And Peter, James, and John are going, how do we not say anything? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? The excitement of knowing the beauty of what had just happened. And then Jesus is like, don't tell anybody yet. All right. I don't know how. <laughs> and if you think about those mountaintop experiences, think about when we come to worship Almighty God. We are standing in the presence of Almighty God. How could we ever leave worship and not be changed? Even if it's just a little bit of something that we learned. Even if it's just lifting our spirits up, even at the very basic level. But how could we not walk out of here different people because of our time together? I have not met anybody who really meets Jesus. And I mean that when we're talking about studying his word and meeting Christians, all that good stuff that you know about. There's nothing hokey there. But how could they ever walk away when they have that moment and they go, you know what, I get this. How can you walk away unchanged? We have the Word of God. We have that reading in Scripture to help teach us. In Mark 9, this is what's called the synoptic. It's a, the same story in another one of the uh, Gospels. And so in Mark 9, there's this conversation that takes place, and you see that uh, Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. And what they're talking about is the, uh, his pending death, Jesus' pending death. So apparently, uh, Peter, James, and John got privy into that little bit of knowledge, and I imagine they were pretty surprised, too, that Jesus knew exactly what would happen. And just let the gravity of that sink in for just a second. You're, wouldn't it be nice to be a fly on the wall right there, right? Just listening and watching that. Imagine Peter, James, and John watching that and going, gee, you're going to die? Wait, we just saw the most glorious thing we've ever seen and our entire life, and the conversation was about a crucifixion about to happen. Amazing stuff. And it was the real deal. It was the real thing. So Paul, Peter, Peter is what I call my favorite apostle because I call Peter hoof and mouth Peter. Because he, could ju he just knew how to stick his foot in his mouth. And he asked the very human question that I believe we all ask. And, and, and it's really interesting because he's rightly amazed. And he rightly sees this for what it is, but he doesn't really understand to put it in heavenly terms. He's still thinking in earthly ways. And I believe that's one of the problems that you run into with Peter, which, which I think relates to all of us. We think God has to work in earthly ways. Like with Moses, God, just write it down for me. <laughs> or with Elijah, just show me a big display of power. No, God doesn't necessarily have to work like that. He certainly can. It's his purview. But notice what, what uh, Peter didn't understand. In verse 4 of chapter 17, he says, Well, Lord, it's good. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles. What was Peter missing in this? There's really only one Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, uh, so Peter rightly saw, uh, when he saw Moses, he rightly looked backwards. He saw God establishing the Ten Commandments. When he saw Elijah, 
He rightly looked forward because of the prophecies about John the Baptist paving the way. And now he's standing there with Jesus. But what Peter did not get is he was looking for an earthly answer to a heavenly answer. And so here we come into the public assembly and worship. Sometimes it's the same thing. We pray and we ask God to give us something. We're talking about a thing. God, I want a new iPad. I do, but it's, it's that, how important is that? No, I would rather see another soul saved. That's more important because that's eternal. If Jesus really is Lord, then the material world is less important than heaven. If the material world is less important, then when we come into the, the, the assembly, when we gather together in that formal assembly to worship, that's important stuff. Because we're standing in God's presence, acknowledging Jesus as Lord, giving Him our praise, praying to Him, all the things we do in worship. That's, that's, that's business right there. That's worship right there. And everything else melts away in the face of that. We proskuneo is the Greek word there. We kiss towards, we adore. We offer God our heartfelt conviction of what is inside of us. It is our love for God. It's our love for Jesus. It's our love for His people that helps us to, to want to gather together and lift Him up and worship Him and honor Him for what He already is. The world wants to tear Jesus down. The world wants to distract you away into material things. But Jesus, I believe, brought Peter, James, and John up, up on that mountain. Remember, even in John chapter 4, you have this... Uh, uh, passage where this interaction with the woman at the well and Jesus says well you're not going to worship neither on this mountain nor down in Jerusalem but there's a time when when Jesus come when, when Jesus is going to be worshiped and, and God his father is going to look for what kind of worshipers those who worship in spirit and in truth that's the kind of worship that God is looking for that proskuneo that heartfelt conviction that we honor God because we recognize Jesus as Lord. And I like that little ending part there, right before they walk off the mountain, where you, the, the, that cloud overshadows Peter, James, and John, that whole place, and, and God says, Peter, you're not, you don't really get this. This is the one right here. This is my son. Moses was great. He had his time. Elijah was great. He helped pave the way. But this is my son. Listen to him. That's the good stuff right there. So brethren, I hope that our worship is, whether it's a mountaintop or a valley experience, and we am certainly we have both times, right? We feel up and we feel down emotionally. But I would hope it wouldn't take our, for our worship to, to uh, be effective for uh, us to feel like we need to have a Moses kind of go between because we're afraid like the people in Exodus 19. I would hope that we would not ask God for huge displays of power, because usually those are pretty destructive things. I would hope that we would listen to the still small voice that we find in Scripture. And as we read about that, just follow what Jesus taught. Because when we do that, we can lift him up and honor him as Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, that is what we're all about, to honor Christ and all that we say and do. We need to recognize Jesus is the light. We need to see in, in all His glory. I think we have that little piece of, 
that moment so that we can see Jesus really is the Son of God. He is also the Son of Man. He's also the Savior of the world. And when you read about this in Scripture, I pray that we'll recognize that whenever we come together and honor Him, that we never leave this place unchanged. We have a little bit more of Christ in us, a little bit more of of our old self left in, in, in the dust. And we just are better people for when we go from this place. And if you need, this this time we call this the invitation, if you need the prayers of the church, if you need for us to um, help you obey the gospel message or study how to do that, um, if you have any Bible questions, please, we want to talk about the Bible. So if you do have a Bible question, feel free to ask. It would be our, our ple- my pleasure, our pleasure, Camelback, I'm sure, to uh, answer those questions. We'll give you Bible answers for Bible questions. We really, we really will. And it would be our pleasure to do that. We're going to sing a song, and, and this song would be the invitation song. And after this, if you want to make known your wishes, please um, don't, don't hesitate. It's our pleasure to serve. So what, we, what I would normally say is come now while we stand and sing, but, but we'll just sing a song right after this, and you certainly can make your uh, wants known.